Hey, listener, this is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We are actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to UpMyInfluence.com slash guest. Let's get on with the show. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Jen Amos. And today I have with me Jeff Morrill, who is the uh, co-founder of Planet Suburu. Jeff's website is jeffmorrill.com. That's M-O-R-R-I-L-L.com. And um, he also has a book that we'll get into today called Profit Wise, How to Make More Money in Business by Doing the Right Thing. So without further ado, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm very excited. And I know we talked a little bit uh, offline already, uh, just in the importance of, you know, being a better listener. And, uh, and so I'm just excited to listen to you today and hear about the work that you're doing. Um, I want to go ahead and just briefly start about your company, uh, Planet Saburu, uh, just because it's always good to know like what people are up to. So uh, for people that are hearing about your company for the first time, um, what, do, what do people know, or what should people know about your company? And who do you like to serve? The first the thing people think of when they think of car dealerships and, and justifiably is, is a lot of shenanigans and <laughs> disreputable practices. And they have even a picture in their minds of what a, what a car dealer would look like. And I've yeah. always enjoyed challenging the assumption on both counts because we've operated the business as the alternative to the typical dealership. In fact, our tagline is your undealership. And we found that that offers a really nice way to differentiate ourselves from the competition and and that's one of the biggest challenges of marketing is trying to find a way to stand out from all the other providers of the same similar service or product that you do. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the, the personality too, I, I like to um, I like to blow people's stereotypes um, in terms of what they think is a car dealer, in terms of the behavior and that kind of thing. You know, maybe I don't know exactly how they think a car dealer dresses, but I have my own stereotypes about it. I, I just try not to look the part. <laughs> I not I don't have a boat or anything like that and or a private plane and and I like to think of our business and I talk about this in the book as a as a tool for serving all the stakeholders that depend on us. Mm. So my brother and I opened it in 1998 and and of course we wanted to make a good living and and we do. But I also wanted to make sure that the team members who actually do the work for us that those people are really taken care of that they have a career path that's meaningful to them personally on some kind of spiritual level and also of course provides a safe place for them to come to work and a place they enjoy being with the colleagues around them and of course for our customers we want to make sure that we're offering an experience that it um, is pretty rare in the car business you know just straight talk and you don't have to ask for a discount we're going to give you the discount that that is appropriate for the market at that time so there's not a lot of that back and forth and and the the games with the sales managers and all that stuff. So, so that's, that's our big vision. Yeah. Well, I love that, Jeff. I mean, you know, very often when we, uh, when people talk about a quote unquote bad salesperson, they always associate it to like a used cars, uh, salesperson, for example. And, you know, even just going to any car dealerships, it's always like, okay, like get ready to get sold. You know, there's always like kind of that armor <laughs> that people put up when they, uh, you know, walk into a dealership. And so I just love how you say you're on dealership. <laughs> I think it, yeah, it kind of creates that level of, um, relief, like, oh, okay. I can just like walk in. And uh, like you mentioned, you already gave some hints as to 
how you approach and work with your, um, you know, customers and, and more importantly, even the, uh, the people that you work with, um, just being able to create an environment where your employees feel taken care of. And so, you know, kudos to you, you know, being in business since 1998, um, that is definitely not an easy feat, uh, feat and worth celebrating. Yeah. Thank you. It's been, um, a, a real joy for me. And, and when I think about the most satisfying part of it, it's probably that gathering together of the team that we have. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are a lot of joys and frustrations in, in building a business. But when I, when I visit the dealership now, which is not as often as I used to because of all the other things we have going on, the other businesses and that kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm so proud to, to learn about the, the kids that, that our people are putting through college and, and the, the growth because we, we intentionally attract most of our people at entry-level positions because we want to grow them our way mm-hmm. with our philosophy and just to see them acquire skills and, and uh, to see them get promoted. And it's, it's very, very satisfying because I think if you're in business at some point, you eventually make enough money that that's not really what keeps you going anymore. You know, mm. you need something else. And for me, that's the thing. I love that. That's a, you know, they say when people say like, um, money doesn't matter. Uh, it either comes from people who don't have it or people that like do have it, but know that there's a higher purpose above just having money. And it sounds like you're in that place in the latter. Yeah. That's a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, uh, Jeff, you hinted at, you know, kind of the philosophies that you stand by. And, um, with that said, I want to get into your book profit wise, how to make more money in business by doing the right thing. And, uh, I think that the right thing can be interpreted in so many ways. So, uh, starting with you, Jeff, I mean, what, what, how do you define, you know, doing the right thing? Well, let me talk about it in terms of, of the contrast with, I think the conventional way of thinking about businesses. There there, that typical stakeholder, I'm sorry, the typical stockholder capitalism is, mm-hmm. it's it's maybe a kind of a Milton Friedman model that economist from the University of Chicago who said that, that the most important thing that, that a business should do is generate income for the stockholders. Mm-hmm. And not only is it the most important thing, but that's basically the only thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't buy that. I have a broader view of it that, that if you... Um, by, by doing the right thing, I'm talking about looking at the needs of all the people that depend on the business. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a charitable and, and I think um, estimable aspiration for a business owner. It's, it's the way people should think about it. But my point in the book, and I describe how it works, is that it doesn't interfere with your ability to turn a profit, like mm. taking care of your, your uh, team members, offering an unexpectedly good experience for your customers, reinvesting in the communities that support your business. All these things, if you do them wisely, if you do it the right way, will actually increase your ability to turn a profit. Mm. The the two aren't aren't in conflict at all. So when I talk about doing the right thing, specifically, you're right. I mean, you could talk about doing the right thing procedurally, you know, making Mm -hmm. sure you get the steps right. I'm talking about more in terms of serving all the stakeholders that depend on the business, you know, making sure that you're making decisions aren't just good for you as the stockholder, but doing the right thing by all those other people that need the business to survive and thrive. You know, Jeff, I really appreciate that because, uh, it's a collective effort, you know, it's a collective experience for, um, you know, the stakeholders, the stockholders, the, you know, customers, et cetera, like everyone that's involved with your company. And uh, I'm just curious to know, where did that thought or mindset even come from to just, you know, let's say focus on generating income for just the stockholders? Well, for, I don't, 
I mean, historically, I don't know if I'm in a position, if I'm understanding your question right, to to explain why why we got to that point in society where money alone should be the primary purpose of a business existing. Like mm-hmm. what what I can I can argue the other side of it better, I think. Yeah, let's go there. Let's focus on and, like how you knew we're like, you know what? Like that's been a weird uh adage or that's been a weird like assumption that we need to do that, but I'm gonna go in the different and I'm gonna go in a different direction. Sure. Okay. Now yeah. now I understand the question. So my dad, who was a teacher, he's retired now, he's in his mm. 80s, but he talks about how institutions should have love in the model. Mm. And I, I love that phrasing. And let me explain what what he means when he talks about having love in the model. What he means is that that institutions need to have as a primary objective the development and the contribution contributions to people and the mm-hmm. earth, because otherwise they they will eventually go bankrupt, not necessarily financially. But if all they're doing is pursuing political power in the case of a party without any regard to any other objective, or in the mm-hmm. case of a business, if they're pursuing profit without any other regard to any other objective, then, then those institutions become wrecking balls. I mean, mm. One way or another, they get corrupted, bankrupted. They end up causing more problems than they solve. Yeah. So this idea of having love in the model, I like to think of it for, for small and medium-sized business owners, including me, is to think through our decisions and our opportunities when, we, when we're working with our teams to find a way to make sure that other people's needs are taken into account. So that at the end of our careers, we can actually look back and say, not only did we, we make money for ourselves, but we have something else to be proud of. Mm-hmm. And the world's better off for having us been in it. I mean, if you think about it, the alternative, if someone's focused entirely on profit, and unfortunately, there, there are quite a few business people like that. I mean, I'm not, I don't think my, uh, my philosophy is necessarily a majority position, although I'd like it to become that way. Mm-hmm. But for those other people, I don't, I don't think that... Um, I think they're really missing out and they're going to get to the end of their lives and they might be millionaires or billionaires, but to what end, you know, what is, what was all that achievement for? If all they can say is they, they flew around in a fancy plane and built, <laughs> built a beautiful mansion, but they left, left behind them this week of destruction. So yeah. I'm proposing the alternative, you know, I look at it like I've been, I've been uh, enjoyed the benefits of a lot of investments that people have made in me. And mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I pull people behind in my wake to to enjoy the same same fortune and abundance that I've I've enjoyed. You know, I, I never thought that I would hear a car dealership and a sense of purpose put in the same sentence or description, but I love it. You know, I love that, you know, what you're doing is beyond just making the money. Um, it's having a sense of purpose. It's being able to, you know, maybe one day look back and be like, uh, and, and be proud, be proud that you, uh, served, um, your employees, you served your customers, you served the earth in a sense. And, um, and it's just something being proud of. And I like, I especially like how you said that money driven people are missing out. And I think they are, it's like you, it's not just about money. Cause it's like, you know, they say, uh, they say that, um, it's lonely on the top. And, but despite that people want to climb to the top anyway. Right. And, and come to find that that truth is real and, um, even painful, if anything, and bittersweet sometimes when people make it to the top. So I just really like that, uh, you're able, I, I, going back to what you said, institutions should have love in the model. I mean, that I love that, <laughs> you know, and, and hearing that as a millennial, cause you know, a lot of millennials are all about like, you know, not just doing something just to do it, but to have a sense of purpose, to have a sense of mission that really speaks to me. 
Yeah, thank you. I think what I discovered and the reason why I think I can pretty successfully argue with the data, I mean, I can empirically prove that, mm. that these approaches are more profitable than other approaches is because people just like you see what we're doing and, and want to be a part of it. I think generally, mm. if you're winning and other people want you to keep winning, then you're likely to keep winning. So that applies to our team members. And you know, remember, I'm, I'm competing Mm -hmm. Our various businesses in a very, very difficult talent uh, shortage. You know, we're always trying to find the best people. And and it's a really big advantage when you have a reputation as a company that people already know they're coming into an environment where they're going to thrive and and where they share their values. Same thing with customers. I mean, there are only so many car buyers out there in the case of the retail dealership. We have other businesses too. But for for any any company, there are only so many customers that are there capable of buying your product in the situation buying your product. And, and if they see that they want you to keep on succeeding and they want to be a part of that, then you're more likely to earn their business. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just having that win, 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 <laughs> win, win, win uh, mentality, yeah. right? Yeah. It's funny. You said the publisher, that, that was his uh, preference for the title of the book was win, win, win. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> he deferred to me and let me call it profit wise. Cause my concern was that it, I thought profit wise illustrated that tension mm. between the, the making money and doing the right thing that there, the, the tension, the sense that people don't expect it. So that, yeah. Um, yeah. That kind of thing. But. Yeah. So uh, I know that your book will cover a lot of uh, win-win-win situations. Uh, I know that uh, one of the things we really wanted to talk today is the hiring process and how that can help set you up for success. So tell us about that. Like, why is the hiring process uh, really important for you to, I mean, one, have mentioned in the book and two, for our listeners to know about? Well, let me tell you how we opened up. And I think our situation is is familiar to many small and medium-sized business owners because the the hiring process that, that works so well for us that we mm. have today was developed through the school of hard knocks over making a lot of mistakes. Mm. And so when we when we first started it, we didn't have an infrastructure in place. I think most most small and medium-sized businesses don't. They mm. don't have a procedure and, and they suffer in terms of their ability to, to know who they're looking for and acquire the best talent because of that. Mm-hmm. So it goes all the way back. I mean, I described the process in the book, but I think to, to describe the process basically here briefly, first, you have to understand who you are as a company and, mm-hmm. and what kind of people you're looking for and what kind of people will fit. And, and once you identify that, I think it's helpful to, to commit those ideas to writing, which will help you prepare a recruiting ad. Mm-hmm. If you can't tell the story in a recruiting ad of why someone should work for you instead of someone else, you're unlikely to get the best people because the best people are looking for something more than a paycheck. Right. They're looking to be a part of something and they mm-hmm. have choices because they're that good. So you need to, you need to, you know, convince them of, of the, the substance and the sizzle of why they should, why they should join you. And then once the, the actual interview procedure starts, I think one of the things that we, we came to over, over again, that series of trial and error was we now have three interviews. We don't rely on a single interview. Mm. to ferret out a person's qualities. And over the course of those interviews, we actually use scripts, which people can find at my website, jeffmoral.com. They can look at the actual interview scripts that we use every day in our businesses. And they might not necessarily apply to all industries, maybe some of the general questions were, because we actually have a different script for each position. Mm. Obviously, we're going to have different questions for a technician than we would a salesperson, but there's some overlap. Mm-hmm. The reason we like to use those scripts 
is because they give us an opportunity in advance to identify the qualities in a person we're really looking for. And, and then we have the questions to ferret those out. So I'll give you an example. We like conscientiousness in our people, no matter mm. what position they're, whether they're in accounting, whether they're a technician, you need them to screw the, the, the lug nuts back on. If they're selling a car, you need them to fill the paperwork out correctly. In accounting, you need to add up all the dollars properly. Conscientious is really key for us. And, and so we have ways of, of detecting that. An example, one of the questions we ask is, how do you organize your, your time? Mm. So if someone can't show us some kind of calendar, either on their phone or written, where they, they manage their appointments, that's not necessarily disqualifying. It doesn't mean you can't work for us, but that's that's a red flag that, <laughs> that you're not able to record your agreements, which is basically yeah. what, a, what a calendar is. Mm. So anyway, we, we think that that's um, a good approach. And, and I recommend you know making sure your hiring system is in fact a system and not just you or a manager talking about hobbies for an hour and then going on your gut. Like yeah. that's, that's not a hiring system. That's, that's a recipe <laughs> for disaster. <laughs> yeah. It's just trying to like fall in love on the first date kind of thing, you know, just yeah, trying to find the connections yeah, right. like you're the one you're hired, which is like totally bad. Anyone who's ever just like first love at love at first sight just didn't always turn out really well. Although those are rare stories, but anyway, I, I really like how you're looking for that trait, the conscientiousness because, and I also like the example of that is uh, organizing your time, looking at your calendar. Um, you know, I just think about like for me, like quality time is like my love language, for example. And so my calendar is like everything. And it's like, if, if I um, run into people who don't have a calendar, I'm like, Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work out. You know, I tend to appreciate people, even friends, you know, when they just put stuff on the calendar and say, Hey, let's do a tentative date to meet at this time. And of course we'll confirm as the date gets closer, but you know, that's a, that's a commitment that's showing, that's showing people that they're being proactive and they're planning ahead. Um, and so I really like that. That's one of the things that you look for in the hiring process. Yeah, and we came to that through some trial and error, as I said before, that was another one of the many things we discovered the hard way, is, is we hired early on because we weren't looking for that quality. We didn't know how important it was. Mm. We didn't know how to detect it, to surface that quality during the interview. We would end up with salespeople who were very personal, mm. but they weren't able to follow through on their commitments. And right. in our view of selling, we don't we don't use a hard sell at all. We don't use the term closing sales. We see you know, the, the process of sales is the customer leading the customer along a process at their pace and their, and it, it, it's at a, you know, in a way that they feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And, and we would, um, we would really, or I should say, we, we really suffered having some people along the way that, that could, could they were good perhaps in front of a customer, but then when the customer left and, and they had requested a follow-up about some information, they never called. In, in a competitive world, that that can be enough to lose a sale, just a, a single unreturned phone call. Yeah. So those things, yeah, we discovered over time are really important. And I think that whatever industry your listeners are in, it's really important that they identify the things that, that are key to that job position. Mm-hmm. And then after they figure that out, you know, they can include them in the in the recruiting ad itself to help help. Uh, signal to applicants what they're looking for and what they're not looking for, but also to make sure that the interview process itself can can pull those qualities out and make sure they're they're present. And if they're not present, then again, any single failure on the part of one of our applicants to meet every one of our standards, it's not disqualifying. We, yeah. We're not hiring robots. We're all people, we all have our strengths and advantages. But but if they're if they're not organized or conscientious, they're going to need a pretty, pretty strong set of of 
qualities to compensate for that. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, you're very uh, thoughtful, uh, which probably makes sense why you're on the Thoughtful Entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, as we wrap up here, Jeff, I just want to make sure I've covered all my bases. Is there anything else uh, you want people to know about your company, Planets Brew, or uh, your book, ProfitWise, How to Make More Money in Business by Doing the Right Thing? No, other than I love to hear from listeners and readers of the book at, at my website, jeffmoral.com. And you can communicate directly with me if you if you think that what I'm saying is crazy or you're confused <laughs> about anything I've said or you just want to want to um, you know check in. I, I love to hear from people, so so please do um, stop by the website and say hi. Awesome. Well, with that said, Jeff, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Um, I just again I appreciate your thoughtfulness here on the Thoughtful Entrepreneur, and so thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. And once again, to our listeners, this is Jeff Morrill, co-founder of Planet Saburu. Uh, you can learn more about him and his company at jeffmorrill.com. Also check out the website to make sure you get a copy of those interview scripts. They sound really interesting. And last but not least, check out his book, Profit Wise, How to Make More Money in Business by Doing the Right Thing. With that said, thank you all so much for joining us and we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Thanks for listening to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans, totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Mm-hmm.